Welcome to Touch Podcast. This is Ryan Clark. This is Nate Novero. And this is Shannon Etheridge. I have to admit, I don't fully understand other people's desires or something. You know, like my desire, the things that turn me on, the things I want don't, are not the same as others. And so sometimes it can be really hard, it can be really difficult to understand another person's behavior if you're if if you're sort of stuck in only understanding or liking or viewing the world from your perspective in terms of yeah well how how, how about how about this how about this um how many of us have been curious about exploring someone with the same sex (laughs) or 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 yeah and exploring um Anything that might be out of the anything out of the missionary position on Tuesday night at nine PM. <laughs> right? <That's good. laughs> hey, let's just start right there and just go right into it. I think we We're need to in it. Show. We're in it. <laughs> the listeners at home are have joined us already and we've been trying to figure out how to jump into uh well, we're talking about ethics and sex. And yeah, it can be a tricky conversation. It sure can. But fortunately, uh, we did an interview. Well, Ryan did an interview with Dr. David Gushy about this conversation, about his unique shift in opinion regarding homosexuality and how we as listeners are like our own journeys and what we have to contribute to this conversation. Yeah, And that brings up a lot of issues, because if you have if you grew up thinking a certain list of things of moral behaviors made you a good Christian, made you right with God, and and you start monkeying with that list of moral behaviors, then it can be very disorienting to think like, oh, but what about this and this and this? And we sort of get focused on behaviors and not about, um, I don't know, not about relationships and not about, I don't know, not about a lot of things. Well, I was hoping to have an opportunity to chime in on this conversation when I first heard that episode aired last season. Uh, I was hoping that it would resurface because I was fascinated by his unpacking his own evolution process of how he moved from one particular stance on homosexuality and specifically marriage, uh, homosexual marriage, to a completely different stance. I think that it takes a lot of courage for somebody like that and somebody like Josh Harris to say, I used to think this way, but now I think a different way. Because I think that everybody who hears a different viewpoint come out of that person's mouth can be tempted to think, well, you hypocrite, because you preached this at one point, and now you're preaching this. I think that we just have to take the word hypocrite completely out of the equation altogether and give every Christian on the planet room to let their viewpoints evolve and mature and uh, to open their minds to the possibility that we may not always be right on every topic in every season of our lives. And um, what would be the point of growth if we started out being right about everything? Yeah, I grew up, I grew, I, I was, I went to a church that taught that the Holy Spirit was a teacher. And uh, that's that whole idea. Like if you, if the Holy Spirit is still working and still teaching, then, you know, if you feel like you figured every single thing out, then you've probably walled yourself off from the work of the Holy Spirit, right? So, yeah, 
I'm my mind is open. I'm I'm curious with their open mind, with our open minds. Um, where in our walks have we experienced that big shift in opinion? If we had one, I have a story to tell about that. May I? Yeah, Shannon's got yeah. a story. Okay, so I want to say that it was like around 2011, 2012, and we had friends visiting, and these were friends that were like directly in between the ages of us and our children. And so we were all gathered together in the living room and we've been playing games and some of them had been drinking and uh, there was something that came up about gay people or about heaven. I don't remember which of the two, but the, the guy who was like in between, like in his probably early thirties at the time, he chimed in and said something about, well, I'm just glad there aren't going to be gay people in heaven. Uh, oh, gosh. And like oh, everybody gosh. who hadn't been drinking froze and was like, what? What are you talking about? And he said, can you envision like them coming up and like, hey, Jesus, and like copping a feel off of Jesus's butt? And I was just like mortified. Yeah, mortified. He had this big homophobic shtick on gay people in yeah. or something. And so my kids who at the time were late teens, early twenties, they're looking at us like mom, dad, like you're not going to tolerate this, you know, homophobic slander in our living room, are you? And so, you know, we very lovingly and tactfully, you know, said, you know, we, we disagree. We, we think that um, salvation is based on you know, your relationship with God doesn't have anything to do with your sexual orientation whatsoever. And so that sparked about a two hour debate. And my daughter actually got very emotional and it stormed from the house and went out to her garage apartment. And I gave her time to calm down. And I went and talked to her a little later and I said, help me understand why that conversation was so emotionally volatile for you. And she was just so upset by the notion that someone could say something so offensive. Um, and, but she was very supportive of how we handled it. Cause we love these people. Like these are, these were some of our closest friends at the time. And, and, and again, there was alcohol involved. And so I would like to think that this person would never say such a thing sober, but it really gave me pause and made me question my own stance of now do I, you know, what do I really believe? And interestingly enough, the very next week I was having lunch with a counselor friend of mine and she asked me if I would read the book by Justin Lee called Torn. And the subtitle is Saving the Gospel from the Gays versus Christians Debate. And I thought, how timely! For her to put this book in my hands and the reason that she asked me to read it was because her son had come out um, as gay and she was choosing to support him and she was having to leave her church because they would not support him she didn't feel as if she could continue worshiping there so i've just seen a lot of division among christians about this topic and it breaks my heart there are times that I think, you know what? I don't have a dog in this fight. I don't have any skin in this game. I'm not gay. So why do I care so much? But I do care when it comes to how people talk about other human beings, whether they're Christians or not, whether they're gay or straight, uh, whether they're male or female, I care about, especially about Christians representing God well. And I think that God loves us all unconditionally, regardless of our sexual orientation. And so 
that, that was kind of the first time that I had to really look closely at what do I believe. How about you guys? Well, before I respond to that, I was my, my heart's kind of beating in my chest. I'm like, I'm feeling the tension. What about that story created that tension for you? I'm curious. Uh, the familiarity of how, okay, the comfort of how some some hold their opinion of homosexuality and how entitled they feel to share it in those aggressive ways. It's like, it's not even considered. And that is, that's what startles me, you know? And it's, it really is common because the way you described it, it's like, gosh, I've come across that a lot. And I, I, and most of the times I don't even speak up. Not what do you mean most of the times? I never spoke up. I never spoke up about it. Cause like you, I felt like it wasn't, maybe it wasn't my issue. You know what I mean? And as much as I felt like something needed to be said, like you, I didn't feel like it was my place. And this is now, like your story is making me think differently about that too, which is interesting. When somebody challenged me one time, they said, if, you're, if you don't speak up in solution or in support of a solution, then you're just part of the problem. And so there's, yeah. I've been questioned at times, especially since being a part of this podcast, um, where do you stand on this issue? And my response to this well-intentioned individual whom I love dearly and we have enormous respect for one another was, why do I have to stand on, on one side or the other? Why can't I just stand in the middle and try to build a bridge between two groups of people that have a really hard time understanding each other, but we're all part of the human race and many of us are part of the body of Christ and there needs to be um, either an agreement to, you know, like agree to disagree or at least a respect or just a basic common sensitivity for humanity of we can't dictate what other people's sexual journey looks like. I think that that crosses over into an ethical situation. When we start telling other people your sexual journey has to look like this or else God cannot accept you or will not accept you. I could never declare that to someone because I'm not God. I don't know what, what's okay with God and what's not okay with God. And I've just had so many clients and friends through the years that homosexuality has been a part of their journey and they didn't explode. They didn't, they they didn't get struck down by lightning and that they learned a lot about themselves and about God through the process. And they were grateful for the, for that part of their journey. And so, you you know, I, I, I really appreciate how you said that because I actually, to answer your question, Shannon, I, I confronted this question myself. I wanted to know more about homosexuality, what I did not understand because I didn't think, I didn't, I, I didn't relate to homosexuality. And because of that, I felt like I, I was curious, you know, and, um, so I explored, I experimented and, uh, but when I did it, I went to, I felt like I had to go to a, a mystery school out in Europe. I felt like I had to be so far. Where you would not be recognized. Exactly. It's like, no one's going to know me in this other country. And I needed some type of safe container. Like, okay, here, we're all here thinking in the same way here. And, and even from there, it was like an even smaller social circle of select people who need each other to, to hang out. And, and I didn't realize how much, um, privacy I really needed just to explore, right? To know what it was like to kiss another dude and to not 
have the judgments of others be a part of that process. You know, I had to go really far. And when I did, can I ask? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, can I ask you a question? It sounded like you were saying that you went to Europe to a mystery school in Europe specifically to have a gay experience or is that what you did or were you, you went to a mystery school and it happened. So happened that why you were there. I, I would say, I would say it's the latter. However, I would still want to be able, I, I want, I want to be brave enough to go if it was just for the first, you know what I mean? Just that alone, it would be enough. Right. Um, and, and I have to say after the experience, I was like, I, I was really, I'm, I'm a grown adult here, right? I'm a total grown adult. But, but I did wonder if some kind of column of propane fire just shot down me from, shot down on me from the sky, I would not have been surprised. You know, that's how far my indoctrination went. Like if, if a pillar of fire zapped me after that experience, that wouldn't have surprised me. What surprised me more was I was okay. Was that God's grace was still there? It was still there. I was still alive. I was still breathing. I'm thinking, wow, I went through so much fear and so much work to break through that threshold to learn this simple lesson of grace. I'm going to ask you next is what did that sexual experience teach you about your spirituality and what did you learn about God through the process? Because that's always the bigger picture question. You know what I, what I learned from that process was I, it, I, from, from that process, I learned more about me than I did about God. And I learned how much I allowed, quote unquote, God's judgment to be a factor. You know, like, I, the fact that I had to go around, the, the fact that I had to go to another part of the world to experience this, that's based on the barrier that I created, that I believed in. You know what I mean? So um, it was interesting to see the type of, the, the type of, lengths that I would go to prove myself that um, it was okay. Did that make sense? Nate, we can edit that out if it was sloppy. Yeah, no, it, no, it does. I mean, I think, um, I think a lot of us have had experiences where we, you know, maybe as we went off to camp or off to, on some sort of retreat or, or away from the regular grind of things that creates a different containers in context for a life where we can try something that's different, explore some of the desires that we have and not, um, and not have the physical cues to kind of trigger our shame and internal judgment and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that makes sense to me. Do you, were you, <laughs> the guy had a kiss had a beard and it, <laughs> wait, wait, what are you saying? Are you describing the kiss? I couldn't hear you. Your, your mic kissing, a, kissing a face with a beard wasn't as uncomfortable as I thought it'd be. <laughs> I'm just offering that into the zeitgeist. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I well, as you're you're creating an image for our listeners, you you said you went to a mystery school. How would you, in a nutshell, describe? This is like, this is like summer camp, right? Yeah, it's it's just a fancy. It's like summer camp for adults. You know, it's all it really is you go there you're going to learn about something and then you know so it's like it's like church camp but it's for new agers or something yeah it's like a retreat for yeah it's, it's yeah. basically a retreat long retreat so let me pose a really challenging question to you both 
Okay, so I just heard Nate unpack his experience and I saw very little shame. And yet I've also seen like clients unpack their same sex experience, whether that was from childhood or high school or college or whatever, with overwhelming shame. What, what makes the difference between someone who feels overwhelming shame from something unconventional such as this versus someone who doesn't? Does that make sense? Like, is there, does it take someone with more faith in God to have less shame or does the more faith you have in God mean the more shame you have? Like what is, is there a pattern that we can decipher here? Yeah, that's what I was trying to articulate before. I think I was feeling a connection there, but I wasn't ready to like say, Hey, there's a connection there. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're asking the very question I was feeling before. So this is a good question. Huh? I don't know if you know, and I don't know if I've never kissed a guy in a way that could lead to anything. Let me just put it that way. Um, so I, I haven't had that experience, but I don't know if faith in God, I don't know if how that plays a role into it as much as, um, what, you know, just your, or yeah, our program shame triggers, you know, I mean, I guess like the trust, trust that I'm in trust in God that I'll be okay if I do something that's out of the programming? Is that what you meant, Shannon? Or Yeah. Like, do, do you trust that God's love of you is still going to be unconditional? Oh, okay. That yeah. His mercies will still be new tomorrow morning, even if you did something really out of the box today. Do you trust that his grace is still sufficient, even though you colored way outside the lines and did something that you wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable putting on a podcast unless you're Nathan Navarro? Um, yeah, it just, it, I don't know. I, I feel as if part of my mission in life is to help Christians remove shame from the equation of their spirituality because of God's character and nature being so unconditionally loving and merciful and graceful. Um, and that if, if the goal of our podcast was to help people remove their shame, how, how could that improve their sex lives? How could that improve their relationships? How could that help their relationship with God? Um, but yeah. Well, that might also to be related to personality type because I definitely work with people who feel a lot of that shame, the shame they experience. If. Uh, they articulate it as something external, like an embarrassment or um, a concern about being judged by God. But I, I almost never feel that. Like all of my shame seems to be like internal to me. Like my judgment is like more like an internal sort of kind of more like perfectionism or like it's it's like uh, yeah, I beat myself up. I'm not worried that God's going to zap me. So I don't know if that's a personality type of just I'm a narcissistic a-hole and so I don't I don't I don't care what God thinks. But no but but when earlier when Nate was talking about, you know, this sense that, you know, if I do something that uh like kiss a man another man is fire going to you know rain down from heaven and burn him up and that doesn't happen and you're like, "Oh, okay. I'm going to be okay." Like I that I don't worry about that. <laughs> you could call into the show and tell us if uh where your judgment comes from yeah you know i was talking to one of my friends about that she's she's uh she's divorcing 
Um, and um, we are we were both talking about what dating looked like now post divorce, right? And um, we were finding that we both had two different approaches to sex. She was this is not sex with each other. This is conversation about sex, but uh, she was talking about how for her she did not have the any shame with going out and and having sex and kind of satisfying this animal side of of her of her being and me i i totally did you know and i i related that shame with god still and i was gonna say is that shame or is that wisdom or discernment or just like holy spirit prompting or like do i don't think that all inhibition should be labeled shame yeah good point good point um, I think it was hard for me because uh, imagine this, okay? I'm going to make this up as I go along. So if it falls apart, whatever, I tried. Um, let's say that uh, you you went to Disneyland, right? To have a wonderful experience. And then Mickey Mouse and all his, his gang hold you hostage. And then you have a horrible experience and now you're kind of traumatized by that, right? So you kind of want to, for any amusement fun, you probably wouldn't go to Disneyland for that. You go to something that looks completely different. It's still an amusement park, but maybe it's Six Flags, right? So, so I think I've left the shame. There is the Judeo-Christian God that was so infused with shame. I had to leave the Judeo-Christian God and know that there is the same God in um, when I looked into other religions, right? Um, and I had to trust that um, – I wanted to see what I can learn from there that would relieve me, my, relieve me of my shame, right? And what did relieve me of my shame, I realized, was God. It was God of Judeo-Christianity also, you know? It, my understanding of God was just so stained with shame, I had to leave it for a little bit to see him clean again. Yeah, powerful. Well, and I think this ties into what uh, Dr. Geshe was talking about in the last episode, which is... You know the what the what does sex mean? Like what does our sexual behavior mean? What does what is our desire for another person for a a situation for a particular way of being touched or experienced? What 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 does that? How is that behavior uh, situated in our life? What is what does it mean to be to have desire to have to have sexual contact with another person? Yeah, and I also like how he said how um, that justice is a human issue, you know, and, you know, sex is, <laughs> that's part of our humanity, right? So to to raise the justice issue of sex, you know, our right to have sex, to enjoy it, to experience it, um, it was really refreshing to hear because I suffocated all that before. Yeah. Well, during our um, pre-recording conversation, you had asked the question, haven't all people had some sort of homosexual desire? Um, and Alfred Kinsey was a big proponent of, of yes to that question. Um, I mean, I, I can't say it across the board because I'm, I'm not everybody and I don't know for sure, but I think that homosexual desire is very common even with heterosexual people. Um, at least the people that I have talked to through my 50 years of life, many have admitted that, that even though they consider themselves straight, they have homosexual fantasies. Some have acted out on them. Um, some have regretted that. Some have not. 
Um, some have um, realized that just because it's a fantasy doesn't mean that they need to act that out. And they, they've, they've just kept fantasy in the fantasy category that they harness the energy that it creates, but they don't act it out. Um, so it's really, it's a fascinating thing when you really dissect it layer by layer to envision that all of our sexual journeys are unique across the board. And uh, you know, like the only thing that we can say is true of all of us is that we all have a completely unique journey um, in and out of these desires, in and out of these fantasies, in and out of relationships for some people, not all people. Um, and I think that everybody has their own ethical responsibility to um, harness those sexual energies and channel them in a direction that they don't feel guilt or shame about. I think that when guilt or shame enters the equation, that that's a pretty loud dog barking, that something's not quite right and something needs to be adjusted. Um, well, and I think that that's where you get to, yeah, I mean, I think not that we need to eliminate all guilt and shame out of our lives completely, but that, I mean, those are, that raises something for us to pause, I think, and say, what is, what am I doing right now? What is the meaning of what I'm doing right now? Is what I'm doing right now, is it truly mutual and 100% mutual with this other person? Is it, is it consistent with my values of other human beings? And one of the, um, uh, uh, an interview we'll hear um, on this episode, if we have time, or perhaps at the beginning of the next episode, is with uh, ethicist Dr. Marvin Ellison, who, uh, in in embarking in an, a a giant um, project um, and ethics textbook, comes to the conclusion that that we should not have a sex a, we should not have a separate sexual ethic apart from our ethic as Christians and people on earth, like that compartmentalizing sexual ethics is done unto us type of ethic. Well, I think that, yeah, well, we'll listen to that conversation. <laughs> yeah. That the ethic, that our ethics to say that our, what we do with our genitals is sort of different than what we do with, you know, it's going to play by a different set of principles and rules than what we do with our car or our weapons or our money, that that's not, we don't need different principles. So he's going to talk, I don't want to spoil that. So he's going to talk about that in the next episode, uh, very eloquently. And for people who are like a little, might be a little frustrated who, uh, hearing three, cisgender heterosexuals talking about homosexuality uh dr marvin ellison also happens to be a gay man so uh we'll let him we'll let him explain that and i'll stop heterosplaining homosexuality but it is important this is an important conversation though because we are likely to be um we are likely to be in social contexts where someone might have a drink and let their guard down and want to say and feel and, and feel like they need to talk about gay people in heaven or their nephew who is gay or, you know, people are going to, we are, we are in situations where people want to work that out. They don't know, know quite how to bring it up. 
Like my gentle homophobic friends and family are going to say things to me and bring things up that we can discuss that they're ne- they would never bring that up just I mean out of kindness to, to people who to gay people but even though they should be having that conversation with a gay person and not with me right don't let me explain that I'm going to stop talking yeah well I only hope that my friends and family would have the courage to talk about you know, have these conversations with people that they agree or disagree with, because I think that what is more normal in Christian circles is that you just write them off and then go tell the rest of the world what you think about them. And rather than just going and challenging that person. Um, And again, I just, I I wish that there were more people who would just stand in the middle, kind of like Justin Lee, who wrote that book torn about saving the gospel for the, from the gays versus Christians debate, just stand in the middle and build a bridge. This is not about who's right or who's wrong. This is about how can we love one another? Like I remember when I was speaking at Charlotte Christian school, they, the question came up about what is, you know, what are my views about whether homosexuality is biblical or non-biblical or whatever. And my response to it was that different Christians interpret the passages of scripture that allude to some sort of homosexual activity in different ways. But that what I know for sure is that God calls us to love our neighbor, our straight neighbor, our gay neighbor, no matter who our neighbor is, we're called to love our neighbor. And when I said that the entire high school stood to their feet in applause and the teachers were just kind of standing around looking at each other like, whoa, what just happened here? This is like at a Christian high school? Yeah. I, I I think that the younger generation especially is just so defensive of their gay and lesbian friends and yeah. that they, I think that's the main reason that so many young people have fallen out of the church altogether is because they view the church as a whole as a very homophobic society. And I would love to, to just balance that conversation to where Christians don't all look homophobic. Um, and I would have to also say, guys, if you haven't gone to see the movie Boy Erased, it, it's worth the six bucks or however much you pay for a movie ticket these days. It's really hard to watch. It's it's very painful to see how some people have been treated by the church because of their sexual orientation. And so it's very eye-opening and convicting, but definitely elicits a lot of compassion. Uh, so for that reason, I do hope that a lot of Christians will go see the movie just to just to have their own, just to look at their own values in the mirror and and ask themselves, not the question of where do I stand on this issue or where do other people stand on this issue, but Am I loving people regardless of whether I agree or disagree with their sexual values or orientation? It, can I, Shannon, can I ask you a quick question? This is, this is like a quick movie review question, but yeah. so in this movie, would you say, I, I haven't, Ryan, have you seen it? I haven't seen this movie yet. I have not seen it. No. Um, but I'm really curious now. So Shannon, when you, when you saw this, would you say that you saw accurate depictions of Christians from, from your walk of life in this movie? I, I would say that there there were some scenes and and phrases and you know stereotypes that were were very vividly portrayed and in, in my opinion somewhat accurately. I also think though that um, the people that I have been in community with and fellowship with over the past twenty five years would never have treated someone so heinously or you know never have. Um, I, I just don't want to, I don't want to villainize the church. I don't want to villainize Christians. Um, in fact, I actually spoke for Exodus International a couple of times 
But when Alan Chambers resigned from that organization and shut it down, I fully supported, you know, his reasonings. It, it's just, we, again, we all have unique journeys. Um, and so I think that they, I don't know if they took it to an extreme for Hollywood tension or not, because I'm not gay and I've never had to walk in the shoes of someone who was being ousted by the church. I think that the, I think that question needs to be asked of people who have felt that sting of rejection from the church. Is this a pretty realistic or, or has it been for you a realistic characterization? Um, and for anybody who happens to stumble upon our podcast and that has been their experience with the church, I just want to say, I am so sorry. I am so sorry for the people who out of ignorance just repeated what they had been taught and didn't know how to treat you with the dignity and the respect that you deserve and that they didn't model God's unconditional love and grace and mercy as, as accurately as they should have. But I hope that you would give church and Christianity another chance because there are people that would welcome you with open arms. I'm seeing more and more churches with rainbow flags and Christian flags side by side, or I saw a banner last Sunday here in Lexington that said, um, uh, all are welcome. Really? No kidding. All <laughs> are welcome. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Oh yeah. You know, yeah, no. And I have no doubt that, yeah, no, cause I know specifically of some stories of people who've been treated violently by their families and by their church when, um, um, yeah, and it's, it's, yeah, and by entire communities. And so we, um, I think we can all agree that that was never what, what God or Christ or the Bible intended. Right. No. And, and we, and I think, oh, we owe, as an ordained Baptist minister, I owe a grat a debt of gratitude to ministers in sort of the congregational tradition through the years who uh, who started welcoming and affirming churches and um, way before it was cool <laughs> um, and you know and had uh, when they could have had the you know the big shiny you know first Baptist pulpit and um, but they they felt a calling to minister among and without judgment uh, a gospel of grace uh, to a community that had been rejected. So um, I certainly, as a minister, stand on their shoulders. One of the things that's helped me through this, through what's, through understanding homosexuality for myself, um, is learning from the conscious community and and what's happening over there. And some of the things I've that I've learned that have really opened my mind is. And, and a lot of this just, you know, is some things that I've kind of assembled together, right? So I, I got some pieces and then I kind of like figured out some lines between these dots here, right? But the general narrative goes something like this, right? Um, if God gave us the command to, to procreate, to populate the earth in the beginning, if this is the narrative that you, um, that you go by, what then happens? Like if, if God created marriage to procreate, what then happens when, when we reach a point where we are overpopulated on the earth? You know, what, how do we resolve that? And so what we're starting to hear is that human, 
when we go to homosexual relationships, these are relationships where we won't procreate, but we are, these are very loving relationships. And so it's kind of like this natural way of earth sustaining itself, of humanity sustaining itself, of God sustaining humanity, um, of letting this, um, letting our sexuality help sustain the human race. You know what I mean? If it's not through procreation, it's through preservation. Let me let me flip that conversation on its ear. Okay. That it's not just about the beginning of life, of creating life and, and populating the earth. I think this is also a question of who's going to be there to take care of each other when it comes to the end of people's lives. Because like I'm I'm in my mind, I'm thinking about this um, this couple that I met in Chattanooga. Um, we attended a uh, a wonderful church that had a large population of gay couples there. And uh, one, one couple in particular lived in my same condo building and they were an older couple, but they had been together like over 30 years and take such amazing care of each other. And just the idea that, you know, that's no skin off of my nose if they are there to take care of each other, because if they, ascribed to some people's belief of, well, that's unbiblical, so that shouldn't be happening. Okay, so now they live alone, and now there's nobody to take care of either one of them. Like, I just think that it's also a matter of, of end-of-life dignity. Of, I think that it's better to have a companion. I think that it's better to have someone holding your hand as you grow old and face all kinds of health challenges. And if people find that companionship in someone of the same sex rather than someone of the opposite sex, you know, I, I can't throw a stone at that. I want everybody to be cared for in their final years. I don't want anyone to feel as if they have to grow old alone. Right, right. Well, that's a, and that's a justice issue for the whole country. Like why, like the United States being one of the only countries that sort of mass, in mass, we send old people to a home, <laughs> right? We house, we house old people in nursing homes, right? Away from their, the away from the family unit and lots of, People in other cultures who know that about our country think that's insane that we we isolate and move old people off and leave them alone until they die. <laughs> like so, it's not just that we we have this expectation for gay people to live alone and be lonely and and uh, uh, and potentially miserable. We do it to all old people. So you know what the hell's the difference? Hey, hey can I throw in one more thing? I realize this conversation has gone probably much longer than any of us ever anticipated. I have to say, um, I do think that there are some older people who are also opening their minds. Uh, the way that I was saying how, oh, these younger generations, they're so defensive of their gay and lesbian friends. I have to give a plug for my mom, who was, uh, she's in her 70s, and she was approached by someone on her bowling team saying, I don't think that Linda and Sally should be allowed to bowl with us anymore because did you know that they're lesbian? And my mother's response was, well, my Bible doesn't say anything about not bowling with someone who is in a homosexual relationship. She said, in fact, my Bible tells me to love my neighbor as myself. And so she stood in defense of this. All right. Amen, grandma. From the bowling team. I was like, yeah, mom. <laughs> what Nate. Um, yeah. And we are in the uh, second episode as we continue our conversation about ethics and sex and, with a little bit of homosexuality, or maybe a lot. Uh, Nate, you were talking about um, 
the idea, this idea in the the uh, conscious community where, um, so if the idea is uh, 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 be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, so the earth is full, and so you were saying that in the conscious community, they're talking about, well, of course, um, homosexual relationships would be a natural evolution of you know, the process the earth and humans on the earth are going through because the earth, you know, it's full. And, you know, when you were saying that, I, did I characterize that right? Cause I actually have a point, but yeah. Limited to the conscious community. Like there, there are some, um, believing communities that think the same thing. I just came across it first in the conscious community, but go ahead. Well, and there's, there's some interesting ideas about, so parallel to that is that the fertility rate and birth rate in the United States and in all developing countries has been precipitously falling. So not only are we having, we're trying not to have as many kids, but when we try to have kids, our fertility rate has been going down, 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 down since, since the 19, since 1970. It went up for a little while and it's, then it's, has gone back down again. So that's an interesting thing about like evolutionarily, I mean, maybe it's the pesticides. I think it's the pesticides, but also evolutionarily speaking, like, yeah, boxer briefs and pesticides and uh, soy, but <laughs> and hot tubs. Uh, you know, there are not too many men in hot tubs that we shouldn't be uh, impregnating more women more frequently. So, but uh, but yeah, evolutionarily, what's happening that where our fertility rate is going down, and so yeah, I mean that's. Something is happening. We are propelling our own evolution into something different than, like, biologically different than what, than what we've been. Thank you for listening to Touch Podcast. Uh, you can find out more about Touch Podcast, watch videos, uh, read blogs, and other reflections. Listen to episodes from season one of touch podcast at touchpodcast.com subscribe on stitcher google play itunes or wherever you get your podcasts don't forget to tell your friends don't forget to connect with us on social media on instagram facebook and twitter touch underscore cast this has been touch podcast i'm nate novero i'm ryan clark and i am shannon etheridge and we love you for listening that sounds juicy